Greetings, mysterious old listeners. As part of our Patreon pledge drive, we're releasing a series of samples from our back catalog of Patreon-only content so you can hear what you're missing. Today we present the first episode of B-Sides of the Mysterious Old Radio, a semi-regular Patreon podcast featuring supplementary content inspired by our weekly podcast. This episode features Adventure in Paris from Big Town, as mentioned during our episode 216 discussion of The Author and the Thing from Lights Out. If you enjoy this sample and want to hear more Patreon-only episodes, go to patreon.com slash themorals and become a patron today. And now, B-Sides of the Mysterious Old Radio. Sides of the Mysterious Old Radio, a monthly members-only podcast featuring additional content and tangential episodes inspired by our usual podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. If you're listening to this, that means you're a member in good standing of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. And this month, we'll be saying thank you for your support with a little extra material from a recent episode in our regular podcast, The Author and The Thing. That particular episode was the final installment of the series Lights Out, and during Arch Obler's final remarks, he mentioned that next week, Lights Out would be replaced with a new version of an old favorite. Big Town! Yes, Big Town! Uh, The series featured the heroic exploits of Steve Wilson, editor of the Illustrated Press newspaper, and his society editor, Lorelai Kilborn. Eric was so intrigued, he went out of his way to give the show a listen, and based on his enthusiastic response... Big Town! We decided to check it out. The series debuted in 1937 and featured Edward G. Robinson and Claire Trevor in the lead roles, two very established film stars. Trevor left the role of Lorelei in 1939 and was replaced by Ona Munson. When the series took over the Lights Out time slot, two new actors took over, Edward Pauly as Steve and Fran Carlin as Lorelei. The show's huge popularity kept it on the air until 1952. Did we miss anything? Oh, there's so much more. The show was so popular, it inspired four films starring Philip Reed and Hilary Brooke. I cover Big Town, Big Town, Big Town After Dark, and Big Town Scandal. It inspired a TV series that ran on CBS from 1950 to 1954 and then moved to NBC until 1956. And DC Comics published 50 issues of a comic book adaptation that ran from January 1951 to the spring of 1958. So, let's get to it. This episode, Adventure in Paris, was first broadcast on May 14, 1942, from the series... Big Big Town. Town! Extra, extra, get your illustrated press! Read all about the new rinsoles. It's fancy's knees and it washes clothes wider. Extra, extra. Read all about rinsoles. Yeah. 
Louise Renzo presents Big Town, starring Edward G. Robinson with Bona Munson. Good evening, folks. This is Ken Niles. We are happy to announce that this broadcast is being made available to our armed forces based overseas. You know, an old proverb uh, that I just thought of says, if you want a fighter wash well done, just leave it to Rinso. And how true that is. Why those quick-acting Rinso suds are tough as nails on dirt and grime, yet safe for washable colors. And with Rinso, you can hustle through a load of clothes with as little as a five-minute run in your washer. How's that for saving your clothes and easing up on your trusty machine? That washer's got to last for the duration, you know. If I were you, I'd have it checked right now by a reliable dealer. And I'd certainly get the new anti-sneeze Rinso tomorrow. And now, Big Town. The makers of Rinso bring you the star of Big Town, Edward G. Robinson, as Steve Wilson, managing editor of the Illustrated Press, with Ona Munson as Lorelei Kilborn, girl reporter. Until recently, Steve and Lorelei have always been on the receiving end of the news in Big Town. Now we find them where news is being made, in war-torn Europe, grabbing headlines hot from the fire in Lisbon, Portugal. But before we join Steve and Lorelei, let's stop for a minute in Big Town, America, and find out what's going on there. It's your illustrated press here. D.C. agrees to dismantle warships in Martinique. Read Steve Wilson's sensational dispatches from Lisbon. Hello, transatlantic operator. Big Town calling Lisbon. This is Lisbon. The Illustrated Press calling Mr. Steve Wilson. Lisbon is ready. All right, Lisbon, just a second. I have Mr. Wilson for you, Mr. Fletcher. Oh, uh, that's swell, McNally. Boy, it'll be good to hear the boss's voice again. Can I listen in, Fletcher? Uh, sure, Hoagie. Grab that other phone. Oh, swell. Hello? Are you there, Steve? Uh, sure. You don't have to shout like that, Fletcher. <laughs> just like talking to Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Uh, well, here's what I called about. Uh, we've been getting some mysterious letters from Paris, all addressed to you. Well, how can that be? No mail is reaching the United States from Paris. Well, these letters are smuggled out and mailed in London. Oh, they're full of dynamite, Steve. Red-hot news about the underground revolt in occupied France. Mm. We've been running them in the Illustrated Press and circulations up 20,000 a day. Well, who wrote the letters? Well, uh, they're unsigned, but they're written in English. And in every letter we find a certain phrase repeated over and over again. A phrase I think you remember. The words, by the same token... Who does that remind you of? Uh, the same... Well, Art Mason. Of course. Art Mason used to be our Paris correspondent. You remember how we used to kid him about using that phrase in all his dispatches? Yes, you bet I do. Why, I haven't heard from Art since we got into the war. Not since I've burned the cables begging him to leave his beloved Paris and come home. Well, he's using that phrase now to identify himself. He's still there in Paris and still sending. Uh, Steve, do you think you can contact him? Well, no, no, no not, uh, not from Lisbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lorelai and I will grab a plane for Vichy today. Uh, maybe Art has an underground connection there, and I'll try to get word to him. Oh, swell. Uh, give our love to the gang. So long. Well, goodbye, Steve. Take good care of yourself. Uh, we'll try Goodbye. And now, to Lisbon, to the headquarters of the Nazi secret police. Captain Heinrich? Yeah, Rita. We have just listened in on an interesting transatlantic telephone conversation between the American Steve Wilson and his newspaper, the Illustrated Press. So? 
Wilson and Fräulein Kilburn are flying to Vichy today. They will try to contact a man named Mason. Mason? If we could only lay our hands on him. Retta, I want a complete transcription of Wilson's telephone conversation with America. Yeah, well, excellent. I also want to know the plane on which his reservations have been made. I'll call our headquarters in Paris. They may have some special instructions concerning our American editor. <laughs> Keep an eye on them. 
I am Captain Heinrich of the German military police. Yeah, was it you who had this plane routed to Paris? Yeah. But why? We're not spies. We're American citizens, traveling from one neutral country to another. Dangerous citizens who must be put away. While you were in Lisbon, you were tended head with British intelligence. Also, we don't like the stories you send your American newspaper. Well, you mean you don't like the truth? This plane is flying under the insignia of Vichy, France. If you land us in Paris, you'll be violating the laws of neutrality. One violation, more or less, will not matter. You're under arrest for attempting illegal entry into a German military zone. Well, you deliberately reroute our plane and then accuse us of an illegal attempt to get across the border. Well, that's typical Hitler logic. The plane is landing here, Wilson. You'd better sit down. My orders were to deliver you alive. Please let me carry them out. Where are you taking us in this car, Captain Henry? First, know our headquarters for questioning. You'll enjoy that. Oh, I'm sure we will. What section of Paris are we passing through now? The industrial district. In the factories on both sides of the street, Frenchmen used to make a famous French car. Now they manufacture bombing planes for the Third Reich. But the factories are dark. Don't your slaves work at night? Well, the Nazis work them 14 hours a day, Lorelei. They have to let the poor devils get some sleep or they wouldn't be able to go on. You've talked enough, you two. Keep your mouth shut or we'll shut them for you. Donovetta. Angle, pull to the curb. Stop the car. Sounds like an air raid alarm. That's just what it is. The planes are overhead now. The British are raiding us again. What, you mean those are British planes in the sky? Yeah. Some of your American planes, too, you swinehunt. Well, your air raid alarm is a little late. In my country, we sound an alert before the final alarm is heard. We have that, too, but we also have French saboteurs who cut the wires. They welcome those British dogs. Get out of the car, both of you. We've got to find shelter. If you try any tricks, we'll shoot you down. Keep close to me, Lorelei. This may be our one chance to get away from them. Look out! It's coming! I think. Oh, it sounded as if the whole world were crashing around my ears. Oh, it deafened me. I can, I can hardly hear a thing. Well, what happened to our friends, the Nazis? Well, the driver of the car and the guard got their tickets all right. They're lying out there on the street. And here's Captain Heinrich. Laid out as neatly as you please. Is he dead? No, I'm afraid not. No? Unconscious, that's all. Boy, look at those factory buildings burn. Steve, there's some German soldiers coming. Yes, I see them. Don't get excited. Just keep moving. But where on earth can we go? I don't know. Paris is crawling with Nazis. We may get caught any minute. Somehow we've got to find Art Mason. He's our only hope. This is Ken Niles again. We'll return you to Big Town in just a moment. But first... Oh, boy, am I glad to see you. To get a lily white with beads, be sure to get new rinse You'll fly through wash day like a breeze if you get rinse Yes, sirree, the rinse sisters, Lily White and Annie Sneeze. Well, what's doing, Pets? A deep, dark plot. Fence 
professional. We've got the inside dope on a big expose. What? Why, but how? I'm... Well, we're plotting to expose those old-fashioned soaps that let your wash get dingy and yellowish. And give you wash day hay fever, too. So we're going to tell the world about new Addie Sneeze Rinso. How it has two special ingredients to prevent yellowing and graying of clothes. And how white things come gleaming snowy white. Without hard rubbing, scrubbing, or boiling. And say, Rinso's a lifesaver for clothes. Why, with Rinso's fast-acting suds, as little as a ten-minute soaking will do the trick. Then a few quick rubs on the extra soil places. And wham! Just look at the gorgeous Rinso wash. Colors fresh and bright. White things dazzling Rinso white. And Rinso's anti-sneeze. You said it, girls. And now, sing it. For Rinso's anti-sneeze, you know, it saves your wash this sorrow. You smell it R-I-N-S-O. Get some tomorrow. Please stay tuned in at the end of this program for exciting news about next week's show. And now back to Steve and Laurel and I in Paris. We left Steve and Laurel and I as they escaped from the scene of a British air raid on military objectives in Paris. Two Americans in desperate need of a hiding place with enemies all around them. Now we find them in a cab being driven through the Paris streets. Well, lucky thing we found a cab driver who didn't suspect my friend. Well, at least he didn't appear to. You know, he's a dear old thing. Did you ever see such a lovely mustache? <laughs> Makes him look like a walrus. Oh, sweet old walrus. Are we being followed? No. No, I, I don't see any sign of it. But you never can tell. Oh, my chérie. Hmm. You have a right, monsieur. 422 Rue Washington. All right, driver. Uh, you wait in the cab, Lorelei. This is the house where Art Mason and I used to share a room together. Probably isn't here anymore, but the landlady may know where I can find him. Oh, look, Steve, there's a woman just going into the house. Mm. Uh, pardon me, madame. Oh. Uh, oui, monsieur. I'm uh, looking for Madame Perron. Uh, would you call her, please? That would be difficult, monsieur. Madame Perron is dead. Dead? Oui. She walked among the refugees who were killed on the highways. As they tried to escape from Paris. I'm terribly sorry to hear that. But what about her little son, Pierre? What happened to him? I do not know. Pierre is gone, too. Poor little devil. Were any of Madame Perron's old lodgers still living in this house? No. German officers live here now. Well, France will rise again, Madame. Shh. Take care of the way you say those words. Who are you? I'm a friend of France. I'm looking for an old comrade, an American. Arthur Mason. Do you know him? I know of him. He's not here now. Go to the Hotel de Capture on the Boulevard de Strasbourg. Ask the night clerk at the desk. That is all I can tell you. Merci, madame. Hotel de Capture. <laughs> it, Lorelai, the Hotel of the Four Sisters. A votre service, monsieur. Oh, are you the night clerk? Uh, oui, monsieur. What can I do for you? Well, I'm trying to locate an old friend. I understand he stopped here at one time. Perhaps he left a forwarding address. His name, please? Mason. Mason? His uh, first name? Arthur. Arthur Mason. Uh, many people come here looking for Monsieur Mason. Uh, some of them speak French with a German accent. Well, I'm American. You can see that. Eh? Look, uh, here's my passport. 
Are we? This lady and I are in trouble, and we've got to find Mason tonight. We don't mean to do him any harm. Quite the contrary. We need his help. Uh, I think I understand. Attention. Mm-hmm. Don't look. Uh, continue talking to me. A Gestapo car has just stopped outside this hotel. The men inside it are watching you through the window. Oh, I knew they'd find us. Don't lose your nerve, Laura. Don't lose yours. What are we going to do? Attendez, monsieur. I placed the hotel register before you saw. You sign your name as if you were going to become a guest here. Uh, you understand? That's right, that's true. We've got to make them think they have us in a trap. Uh, what happens next? Now, I pretend to show you to the corridor which leads to your rooms. Uh, uh, follow me, please. We're right with you. If we only had some luggage, it might look real. But instead, I show you to this door, which opens to the back alley. I will get word to Mason. Good. Uh, you tell him Steve Wilson is here. Tell him to meet us at Mimi's. At Mimi's, oui. Uh, bonsoir, monsieur, madame. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. God bless you. Come on, Lorelai. Oh, it was a narrow shave. Uh, we're not out of it yet. Yeah, watch your step. It's as black as the ace of spades in this alley. What's the matter? Hmm? There's something lying here on the ground. I think it's the body of a man. I nearly fell over him. Wait a minute until I strike the match. I'll find a match. It's Scott. Who are you? The driver of your cab, monsieur. Men lying on the ground. It's an agent of the Gestapo. He was waiting here for you. You will wait no more. What did you do to him? Does it matter? One Nazi less to bleed France. The cab is waiting at the end of the alley. Hurry. Well, why should you risk your life to help us? The Gestapo wants you. That is enough for me. Are you English spies? No, no, no. We're, we're Americans. We're hunting for another American. A good friend, Art Mason. We've got to find him tonight. Here's my cap. Get in quick. You should have told me you wanted Monsieur Mason. Well, how could we know you were to be trusted? The little people of France are still to be trusted, Monsieur. They are still fighting for liberty. I believe that, driver. Take us to the park, the Bois de Boulogne. But you told the clerk you'd meet Mason at Mimi's. I know. That's where she is, in the Bois de Boulogne. like a park at all. It's more like a forest. Yes, you could get lost in here if you didn't know your way around. But you said you were going to meet Art Mason at Mimi. Mm-hmm. Now, don't tell me Mimi lives here among the trees. There's Mimi. Where? That broken statue of Psyche standing there in the middle of the pool. What? Well, she certainly looks devilish, doesn't she? <laughs> well, that's why Art and I called her Mimi. Oh. We used to meet here in the old days. <laughs> We've hiked through these woods a hundred times. What? The clerk got word to him. I'm banking that he'll show up. Well, I hope you're right. I've already got the jitters. I never did care for the woods at night. What's that? Bonsoir, monsieur, madame. Holy smoke, a kid. Don't you remember me, monsieur Wilson? I am Pierre, the son of Madame Perron. Pierre? Well, I'd never know it. Well, you've certainly grown since I saw you last. Oui. These days in Paris, a fellow gets to be a man very quickly. But I am 12. Uh, I beg your pardon. This is uh, Lorelai. Hello, Pierre. Well, forgive me for saying it, but you don't look as if you get enough to eat. I think I have never had enough to eat, mademoiselle. There are thousands like me here in Paris. Boys whose fathers and mothers have been killed by the Nazis. They call us the wild boys of the streets. I am the leader of my own gang. Have you got your gang with you? They are never very far away from me. Monsieur Mason got word you were here. He could not come himself, so he sent me to get you. You you know where he is? Oh, but of course. My boys and I, we work with him. We have to deliver his underground newspaper, La Liberté. We are working for free France. And you can take us to him tonight? Oui, mademoiselle, at once. 
You go with me. Just what we're ready to find out. Will yeah. you stop or... We'd better grab that boy. I've got him, Excellency. Oh, yeah. let me go. Oh, oh, you filthy beast. These wild boys must be controlled, Fräulein. Their bite is poisonous. I trust you haven't forgotten me, Harrelson, Captain Heinrich. I'll never forget you. We lost you once tonight, but we won't lose you again. We've trailed you from one place to another, knowing you'd lead us to Mason. Oh, that's where you made a great mistake. We don't know where he is. Ah, but the boy knows, and I don't think we'll have much trouble with him. We have methods that make even strong men tell all they know. You can torture me, but I will never tell you. I think you will, Gutherat. Bring him along, Bender. You're coming with us, Wilson. You too, Fräulein. Our car is waiting down the road. Stop moving. I'm worried. Mason. <laughs> well, it's certainly good to see you again. <laughs> Same here, Steve. I never thought our next meeting would be under these conditions. Well, it's quite an elaborate hideout you have down here, Art. Yes, the catacombs under this old cathedral must have been built over 500 years ago. They've hidden many a revolutionary in the past. This isn't the first time France has fought for her freedom, you know. You know, Art, those uh, newsletters you sent to the press created a sensation in Big Town. We've got to have more of them. You'll get them, Steve. One of our workers will contact you regularly. Here's the code you'll use. Thanks, Art. You sure you don't lose it? No, I won't. First, I've got to get you two out of Paris. Well, I don't see how it can be done. Well, it has been done. It's being done. Now, this is one of the stations on the underground route for smuggling refugees into the unoccupied zone. Well, it's about time you got here, Major. Oh, it's about time, Herr Mason. I want you to, uh, to meet uh, two friends of mine, Steve Wilson and Laurel I. Kilburn. Let me tell uh, say, uh, what is this, Art? A uh, German officer in uniform? What the devil is he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Tell him, Major. Well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Wilson, I'm as much of an American as you are. You see, what? Germany has no monopoly on secret agents. Our men of the United States intelligence get around, too. I can't tell you the Major's real name, but he's just finished an assignment in Berlin and Paris. My job is to help him get out of here into unoccupied territory. All we needed was a Gestapo card. We've got one now, thanks to you and Pierre. Yeah, we're leaving at once, Mr. Wilson. We? Yes, we have a German uniform for you. You'll be my military chauffeur. All you have to do is keep quiet. Well, that shouldn't be difficult. You'll have to be across the border before daybreak. Do you think you can stand another trip tonight, Lorelei? I'm game. Well, it won't be fun, exactly, and I can't promise it will succeed. You ready to change, Wilson? Yes, I'm ready. Uh, say, uh, look here, Art. Uh, why can't you come with us? Well, Steve, my work is here. I can't leave my wild boys in evening. I'll get word to you from time to time. Bye, old man. So long, Lorelei. Send my regards to all the boys in Big Town. Slow up, Wilson. This is the border of an occupied France, the last station under German military control. Sit tight, both of you. Say nothing unless you have to. Your name, Emilio? Reinhardt, third division, on route to Vichy. Here are my papers. Thank you, Herr Major. David, everything is in order, Herr Major. Thank you. Proceed, driver. One moment, please. Huh? We have a description of this car. It was stolen from the Gestapo last night in Paris. Uh-huh. Wait till I see the number. Yes, it's the same. 
You'll have to come inside until we report this to my captain. Oh, come inside. Nothing. We're late already. Uh, uh, it's my fault, Herr uh, uh, Major. The, the car order for this trip broke down last night, and I found this one abandoned on the street near the Bois de Boulogne. Knowing you had to leave it once, I commandeered it in your name. Oh, you stupid fool. You should have reported this to me. Uh, my apologies to the Gestapo, Sergeant. Tell them I send their car back from Vichy, eh? But I can't let you go on, Major. My orders are very strict. My orders supersede any that you may have received. I'm on the business of our failure. I'm not to be delayed, understand? But, Herr Major, at last, let him call my captain. Get out of our way or we run you down. Drive on, you idiot. Drive on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Herr Major. I never thought we'd make it that time. Yeah, it's a lucky thing for us. There were no commissioned officers on the bed yet. Oh, I'm just about ready to collapse. Well, we're in the unoccupied zone now. Keep going, Wilson. Well, don't worry, I will. Goodbye, Paris. I hope I'll see you again someday. Someday when you're free. In, please. In 30 seconds, we're going to give you a hair-raising highlight from next week's show. Morning, evening, noon, and night. There are dishes to wash and grease to fight. And that's where the new anti-sneeze Rinso is tops. I'm telling you ladies, with those rich go-getter Rinso suds in action, the stubbornest grease-coated platter emerges from the pan with a dazzling sparkle. And Rinso's easy on your hands. It doesn't get them all rough and red. Yes, it's all that and thrifty, too. Costs less than a cent a day to do your dishes the Rinso way. So get new anti-sneeze Rinso tomorrow. And now for the preview of next week's thrilling show. An adventure laid against the romantic background of Tangier in Spanish Morocco. The story of Steve matching wits with a dangerous spy. From the Wilhelmstrasse in Berlin... The news leaks out that Jason, the Nazi's master killer, is on the loose again. It's night in Tangier. A narrow alley between two high walls. Steve and Lorelei, hidden in the shadows of the doorway. You've got him, Lorelei. Do you think he's still here in the alley? He's got to be. There's no exit at the other end. He's hunting us just as we're hunting him. Now, no matter what happens, I want you to stay right here where you'll be safe. Listen. I can hear someone scraping along the side of the wall. You're right. He's coming this way. Get back. There he goes. Stay where you are, Lorelai. Please come back. It may be a trap. Oh, you fool, don't follow him into that dark room. What did I tell you? There's a snap lock on the door. I can't get it open. Steve! I knew it would happen. I knew it. I'm hiding in there. What can I do? Help! Help! Steve! Is that you? Steve, why don't you answer me? Was it Steve? Or was it Jason? Remember, that's a scene from the middle of the story, not the end. Same time, same station, next Thursday night. The music for tonight's program was arranged and conducted by Leith Stevens. This broadcast was produced under the direction of Crane Wilbur. All the names used in Big Town are fictitious, and any similarity to actual persons and places is purely coincidental. There's nothing so dismal as a foghorn. Unless it's somebody with... B.O. Stop B.O. 
Take a daily bath with the new 1942 Life Boy. New added ingredient, new vanishing scent, same protective lather. From head to toe, it stops B.O. Life Boy. Extra, extra, get your illustrated press. Read why the no richer so gives wider, brighter washes. Extra, try Winsoe. Adventure in Paris from the series Big Town here on the B-Sides of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. This is a monthly members-only podcast that features additional content and tangential episodes inspired by our usual podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. I just want to get this out of the way. Thank you so much, you guys, for choosing this to be talked about in this B-sides thing that we're doing. I am so, so happy, so excited to talk about this. I'm also extremely curious because in that podcast, I said, so I listened to it and it's really good and I really like it. Blah, 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 blah. And you guys, okay, we'll give it a shot. And I have no idea what's about to come out of either of your mouths after listening to it. Just expletives, nonstop expletives. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Uh, what did you think? <laughs> oh no! Oh, Nobody no. wants to go first. Um, I think it's fantastic because I think you were in the same boat of how odd it was that this was this star-studded show that went on for fifteen years. Um, had film adaptations, TV series, on and on and on, and like, why haven't I not heard about this? And then especially because I sort of dug into it a little bit before I heard it, I really got the vibe of, okay, this was from the get-go meant to be a big budget movie star quality, this is built to succeed show, and it does. I mean, it really carries out that plan and meant to be a really popular genre, which I, I don't know that adventures of newspaper people are as much a popular genre as you might think, but it's really appealing. Just to jump on that, again, I'm so bewildered as to how the sentence Big Town ever got past me. Joshua, you either. You hadn't heard of it either, right? I'd heard of it, but I'd never listened to it. It's a genre that doesn't really interest me on the label, like uh, the tough guy reporter. To me, like, uh, if it's a tough guy, make him a detective. I like detectives. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Take that, Britt Reed. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing against this show or the genre in general. It's just not anything that has terribly interested me. So I probably didn't decide to listen to it for that reason. I will also tell you that you didn't listen to it for this reason, because that's the dumbest name for a show ever. 
big town. It's big stupid. Town. <laughs> it's stupid. It, it doesn't sell anything. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, in my head, it's populated by Lego people on just the just the title. <laughs> I'm sure we, with a little research, we could find out the origins of it. But to me, it sounds almost like a newsreel language. You know, like. Big Town USA, like these are the things yeah. going on and that it, it was meant to stand in for this generic metropolis that represented all of the large cities in America. Yeah, it literally, in the show, they are in Big Town. That is the, the paper is the paper of note yeah. in Big Town. No, I understand all that. I'm just saying it's dumb. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying Big Town. You could have come up with anything better than that. Any town USA would have been a better choice than Big Town. City Big Town face. <laughs> but I am not ever going to get tired of screaming Big Town. Well, we did this just so you could get it out of your system. We're, <laughs> we're cutting it from all subsequent podcasts if you do it. <laughs> so get it all out there, man. Um, Joshua. So you listened. You told us why you hadn't bothered to in the past, but now you had to. Most of what I have to say about it has to do with my feelings about propaganda stories in general. So maybe I'll save that for later. I think it's a really solid piece of radio drama. And there is a lot to talk about in it. So you sent us this link. This was the episode you mm -hmm. listened to after yep. hearing about it in Lights Out. And I listened to it and went, ah... This has got some meat to it. You can see, knowing me well enough, you can see how this checks all of my boxes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? It's everything that I want in a radio drama. Nothing better than bumbling Nazis getting foiled. Gosh, I love it. <laughs> uh, when I was doing some research on this, I learned that William N. Robinson, William N. Robeson, is that right? Uh, is was the primary director, but not the only director for the show. He was one of the, the brilliant minds behind it. And Arch Ober was a contributing writer. It plays like a movie to me. It's got some Casablanca feel to it in the sense of we're going to this far off land. We've got to dodge things. We've got to, we've got to run around. We've got to find secret people to talk to. Every time you think it's the ending, it's not which I love. It's just, oh, now we're going to go do this. Now we're going to go do that. I love the performances, of course. Those are A-plus actors. Uh, I thought it was directed well. I thought it moved really well. I thought the foley was great. The music was great. It's just, you know, little things like, it's really cool, man. They get on the plane and they sit in the front and they get a letter from a guy and they're like, oh, that must be art. And then they realize, oh, we've been shanghaied, man. We have been kidnapped by Nazis. It's almost as worse as realizing there's a monkey flying the plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Nazi gorilla, an opera singing Nazi gorilla. Well, that's where dark fantasy went wrong. They should have added that. But, and then they get away and then they have to run through the streets and they have to meet contacts and the guy at the hotel ushers them out the back door. I love everything about this. Basically, one of the reasons I love this so much is it's just straightforward. It is what it is, and it's not complicated for me to follow. <laughs> it's got a nice pace. It just moves from yeah. set piece to set piece really well. My favorite scene, though, is with the uh, Wild Boys. Um, yes. When they get captured in the woods by the Nazis and... Uh, 
(laughs) The feral French children come out. (laughs) Yes. I can just imagine them just pouring from the trees. (laughs) It's like Line Engine versus the ants. They just like these little French boys just cover the Nazis' bodies. (laughs) You just said the key word, though. I could imagine. When I'm listening to something and I'm picturing everything vividly, I know I am having a great time. And there isn't a moment in this that I don't see everything. I see them in the plane. I see the the, the ants dressed as French boys coming out of the woods. I see I see every single thing that's going on so vividly. The hotel, I could draw you, if I could draw, a perfect map of that hotel lobby, where they went. And I don't know why, it's not like they describe it, but it has to do with pace and it has to do with description and Foley and all that. But the ability for a show to allow me to be so absorbed that my brain can create the landscape without being distracted and I can start to build these sets in my mind makes me really happy when I can imagine it all. And I was just whisked away to a nice Nazi killing adventure. <laughs> and, and, the, and again, it goes to my infallible hero thing. You know, I like when the bad guys are the bad guys, good guys are the good guys, and I don't have to think about it. Although this is the best part of this whole show, the tease to next week's show. Because they tease that and they say, Oh, the I forget the guy's name. The main guy ends up in a room and there's gunshots and and the announcer says, "Is he dead?" And you can hear the live audience laugh, right? <laughs> but what's cool about that is when he said, "Is he dead or not?" I laughed. Like I laughed out loud on my walk listening to this. I went, "Ha ha." And as I was laughing, I realized the audience is also tittering. So even in 1940, whatever this was, it was, oh, that's kind of goofy, cliffhangery kind of thing, even by their standards in that day. Like, not in a, boo, that was a terrible cliffhanger, but in a, yeah, we know he's not dead. (laughs) (laughs) My other favorite part about that segment is the announcer says something like, "Um, and this isn't the beginning of the story or the end. This is just the middle. Don't think you've heard it all. (laughs) A lot more happens. (laughs) Next week, the last episode of Big Town. Big Town. Uh, yeah, I, I'm repeating myself and I've talked a lot, but oh my gosh, that was fun for me. That's everything I love. It had a, I love a mystery kind of feel to it in, in that sense of it. There is a, a nice structural move they do, um, which early on when they, when they divert them onto the other plane, I, I don't know for other listeners, but me listening, I'm like, that's the bad plane. Don't be on that plane because they gave us the scene of the, the Nazis being aware of their plan. But it trains you as the audience to know that anyone they talk to could very easily be on either side. So that every interaction they have. Including at the end when the guy comes in and they're like, oh, no, a Nazi. And we find out, no, it's an American. So you just don't know who is what and where is who. And that's not a sentence I just said, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I wish the episode were called, oh, no, a Nazi. It's like a. It should. We'll write a children's book called that. <laughs> oh no, a Nazi! I was wondering though when they were flying into Paris, while well, like, there's a river going through it, and there's a giant tower, right? There's a giant tower. Do you see the tower? 
<laughs> it's on the other side of the plane. They weren't looking I, out that window. Right. <laughs> Wait uh, a minute. What's the Eiffel Tower doing in the middle of... Where were they going? Somewhere Doesn't not matter. Paris. Somewhere <laughs> not Paris. Home of the not Eiffel Tower. Yeah. It's called Surrender Town in France. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, too soon. No. Uh, the aspect of this that I enjoyed the most was listening to it. I want to keep saying through the lens. We need a different metaphor. Uh, listening to this through the ear horn <laughs> of <laughs> the Lights Out episode in which uh, Arch Obler was opining that he should be doing something more than these monster of the week stories. And so it was very interesting to switch gears from the horror story to the type of propaganda story the pro-American, I mean, again, I'm using this descriptively. I'm not saying, boy, they really gave those Nazis an unfair. (laughs) 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 What I I mean it in the descriptive term of it, it is definitely art created for the intentional purpose of helping to accomplish a social or political goal, like winning the war. And it hides nothing about that fact. And that's what Arch wanted to do. So the first thing that jumped out at me listening to it from that perspective was uh, when Fletcher, the little newsy guy, uh, calls to talk to his boss. No one is that excited to talk to their boss, by the way, when they're out of town. (laughs) I didn't believe that for a second. Uh, But he's calling them and he mentions specifically that he's been receiving these mysterious uh, letters from the French underground. um, And he says, we've been publishing them. And... uh, our circulation is up 20,000 issues a week. And I immediately thought, ooh, you're profiting from the war. Arch Ober wants to break your bones off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a little aside, that um, news, whether it be war news, has always been um, a seller in tumultuous times. What's the Superman kid, Jimmy? Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy Olsen? He reminded me of Jimmy Olsen, that kid at the beginning. The character's a little hokey. So generally speaking, with this type of story, when it's set during the war, I am not as engaged as Eric, probably for the same reasons that Eric is engaged, because they need as propaganda to make the Nazis just pathetic and incompetent. And as a piece of propaganda, that's important. I'm not saying, oh, they should humanize the Nazis, but they want to show them as not a credible threat. So from a modern perspective, the goals of propaganda undermine the goals of a suspenseful adventure story. As in, I am reminded from the first time uh, the main characters find themselves on a plane captured by the Nazi secret police, they are just nothing but flippant and criticizing the timeliness of their air raid sirens. <laughs> and it's like, these guys could <laughs> shoot you dead in the street at any second. Uh, so... I guess it's not so much a judgment, but as an observation and and why I prefer some of these stories outside the war period. Even things that are still talking about the war that are written afterwards that have more room for reflection or something like Mission right. Accomplished, where they're grappling with some of the consequences of the war. So that is always a struggle for me with these type of shows. Uh, the exception being, as long as we're talking about Arch Obler, or I am profusely, I love Arch Obler's propaganda work because he doesn't attempt to be suspenseful. He is often quite surreal and uses dark humor 
And from a modern point of view, the events are very unexpected. I'm thinking of, I think I sent you guys this ages ago when we were looking for a Nazi-themed play to perform at one of our shows. Ober wrote this one where Mercedes McCambridge is hung by the Nazis like over and over again, and she just keeps coming back to life to taunt them and say terrible, mean things to them. <laughs> and it's super surreal. It's not like structured like a traditional adventure show. So those are things that really fascinate me. But I see from a certain point of view how knowing exactly how it's all going to pan out is comforting. And it was certainly comforting in the time. That's a great way to describe it for me. It's not challenging. It's just waiting for my hero to win is enjoyable for me and not stressful <laughs> and easy to get through. And let me be clear, I'm not really criticizing this episode. I'm merely no. describing it, I guess, which is pointless. But <laughs> I think <laughs> it accomplishes everything it intends to do. Being a product of its era and a show that is intentionally trying to contribute to the war effort by raising morale, saying even a middle-aged news editor can beat the Nazis, <laughs> you know? Well, there's a couple of things. One is uh, I don't think it is just a matter of a simple plot that makes this so engaging. It's also highly technically proficiently made. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. A lot of skill went into that. Uh, and on the degree of propaganda, I also think it's it's not just Nazis are bad and we are great. I think this is focused specifically on Paris is occupied. That's trying to not just make Americans feel good about themselves, but also we got to go in and save the day. And they're all just waiting for us to show up. All of Paris is ready to uh, rise up. Except for the one cab driver who's just like, that's it, I'm killing Nazis myself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? Yeah, that was the around. one disappointing thing is like, was that a Gestapo guy? <laughs> <laughs> Who was that dead body really? <laughs> There's also the moment where Steve and Lorelai are running out of the woods, making their escape after the feral French children have attacked. And then you just hear gunshots. And there's that moment like, are the Nazis just executing these poor French children? <laughs> I got the distinct impression that they were. Yeah, and as Tim said, and as you said, I mean, it leads into the propaganda part of it, and Tim leaning into it even harder. Hey, we got to save Paris. I think there's a part of it, like, they're just killing children, everybody. Like, we got to stop these people. I think it's intentional that we're supposed to imagine that they're, they're shooting kids for all the reasons you guys just stated. And they're suffering said, valiantly, right? Like, so they yeah. go out of their way to show that the Pierre, was that his name, or am I just being stereotypical <laughs> frenchist uh, yes. <laughs> it was either jean-luc or pierre or <laughs> francois something right. like that but he is so chipper and brave and they say oh it looks like you haven't eaten no i have not eaten much but we are brave you know like so it it's really hammering that home and i'm not being critical but it, that's also part of the fun so part of the fun for me we're recording this on the saturday before memorial day in 2021. And the reason I'm telling our listeners this is because Memorial Day is a really special day for me. Every year, I watch World War II movies. And I don't mean Saving Private Ryan and Dunkirk and the really hard ones to watch. I've watched every single World War II documentary, 
every single World War II movie. I defy you to find something I haven't seen. I know a lot about it. And the ones that are like, this is accurate. This is what really happened. They're really hard to watch. And it's really shocking what we went through, what those people went through, what those men went through, and women, especially the Pacific Theater. I don't want to get too far into it, but it's horrifying. Now, flip that. There are a bunch of movies made that don't come close to that. Don't even touch on that. For example, the movie The Longest Day. I watched those movies. Von Ryan's Express, The Dirty Dozen. And I had this list of movies every year that I watched that are mere 10, 15 years after the war that are glorifying everybody as heroes and dying with their boots on and we don't get to see blood and, and nothing is horrible and no one's losing their minds. And it's all just a bunch of infallible heroes that if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be a free country right now. Now, I get all of that is nonsense. But wow, I love those movies. For the same reason I love this, and this was a great lead-up to Memorial Day for me. This fits the entire genre of what I'm going to do all day Monday with a plate full of bratwurst. (laughs) (laughs) On a French roll. I can't tell you. I'm going to listen to more of these on Monday in between my movies. But God, this big town fit every single box for me. That was really fun, top to bottom. Traditional adventure action. Let's get the Nazis because they're bumbling idiots. (laughs) Should we take that as your vote? My vote is classic. Yeah, I loved it. I might just have to get a few more out myself, too. Of Big town! <laughs> big town! <laughs> I'd rate this big town! <laughs> How does B-Sides end? Uh, we're just making it up. This is our first one. I think uh, maybe from now on, B-Sides should always end with us saying, Big town! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. And until next time, Big town! Big town! Big Town.